Um, If you have a Bible, would you please turn to Nehemiah chapter 12? And once you've found it, if you can't find it, that's okay. You can look in the front bit and find out where it is. And uh, I'm going to be reading this in a minute, but before I do, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to open this up a bit. Father, as we come to your word, I pray that you would, uh, you would let grace abound this morning, that we may see ourselves clearly, but more importantly, see you and your wonderful son and his work in our lives. And Lord, may we have a faith and an anticipation, not just in gratitude for what you have done through him, but what you will do through him for us. So Lord, come, we pray, in the person of your Holy Spirit, and illumine these words, and let grace come to us all. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. Everybody likes a happy ending, don't they? Everybody likes a happy ending. But not always things have happy endings. I remember many years ago, in the midst of time, when our kids were little, Um, like they have their kids now, but when their kids were little, the Little Mermaid came out from Disney. Do you remember the Little Mermaid? For those of you that, they used da 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 And there we are. That's the best I can do. Under the Sea, I'm better at singing that one from there. And so the kids wanted it, the girls particularly, and Dad, 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 can we rent it? So I went to Blockbuster, as you did in those days. But instead of renting it, I bought it. I bought the little, because it seemed incredibly cheap. I thought, well, it's this much to rent, and it's hardly any more to buy it. So I bought it, brought it home, and uh, traumatized the children, utterly traumatized them. Why? Because I didn't bring home the Disney version. I brought home a cartoon of Hans Christian Andersen's original fairy tale. Do you know it? If you don't, let me just tell you what happens. Ariel saves Eric from the sea and falls in love with him. So in order for her to be able to be with him, she needs legs. So in Hans Christian Andersen's fairy tale, in order to get legs, she has to give up something else. So they cut out a tongue so she can't speak. Mm. You think that's bad? It gets worse. (laughs) In Hans Christian Andersen's tale, Eric marries another girl who he thinks saved him from the sea But it was Ariel, because she's got no tongue, she can't tell him. And so because he doesn't fall in love with her, the witch curses her to be sea foam for the rest of eternity. The end. (laughs) The end. Why am I telling you this? Well, we're going to realize this in a minute in Nehemiah 12 and 30. I'm not going to read it all. You'll be pleased to know. We've been going through Nehemiah at home, and uh, it was my privilege to finish our series on Nehemiah last week. And so I'm bringing you a similar message. No, none of my messages are ever the same. A similar message from these two things and these two chapters. Um, but here's the thing. If Disney made a film of Nehemiah, or in fact the whole Old Testament, Disney would finish the film in chapter 12. But there's chapter 13. I'll explain it as we go through. And chapter 13 of Nehemiah is not just the end of Nehemiah, nor is it just the end of the narrative 
of those returning. It's been about 100 years, 90, 100 years from when Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, and everybody originally through Cyrus was let go off from Babylon to return and rebuild the temple. A lot of different things have happened. It's a 100-year thing. And Nehemiah 12 and 13 is the end of the narrative. That's it. Not only is it the end of the narrative for the people that returned to rebuild the temple and the wall in Jerusalem. It's the end of the Old Testament. This is it. This is the last bit of narration in the whole of the Old Testament. What starts with, in the beginning, God, and then goes through to the call of Abraham, and I will call you, and I will make you the father of a great nation, and the promises to him and the promises to Moses of finding a people and a place, it all culminates here. This is at the end. You can turn over Nehemiah 13 and it should say the end. And what an end. The two chapters are so different. Chapter 12 is about the dedication of the wall that they've come and built. It's taken Nehemiah... 52 days, only 52 days to build the whole of the wall around Jerusalem. It took them 20 years to build the temple, then nothing for 70 years. And he comes and in 52 days, he's built the wall. And, that, and chapter 12 is when they rejoice and dedicate the wall. So let me read it to you. I'm just going to read bits of it so you can get a taste of it. Chapter 12, verse 27, and we'll read through. Forgive me for not mentioning all the names because I'll get tongue-tied. And at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, with thanksgivings and singing, with cymbals, harps and lyres. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the districts surrounding Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites, and also from Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba and Amzaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I, Nehemiah, brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great choirs to give thanks. One went to the south on the wall to the dung gate, and after them went a bunch of guys, so I won't go through, and then... And more people, and verse 37. At the fountain gate, they went up straight before them by the stairs of the city of David, at the ascent of the wall, and above the house of David to the water gate on the east. The other choir of those who gave thanks went to the north, and I followed them. So Ezra's leading one choir around the wall, one way, and Nehemiah's leading another choir around the wall the other way, and they're meeting together at the temple. And I followed them with half the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall and the above the gate of Ephraim and by the gate of Yeshana and by the fish gate and the tower of Hananel and the tower of Hundred to the sheep gate and they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both choirs of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God and I and half the officials with me who we won't talk about gave thanks. And the singers sang with Jezariah as their leader and they offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced for God had made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoiced and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away the end, but it's not. 
this glorious moment of culmination. Everything that Nehemiah has been trying to get together. In the beginning of chapter 12, they go through the people that came right from the start. They list everybody who's got them to this point. So grateful for them. And now the choirs are singing. And not only is Jerusalem affected, out from Jerusalem, which was what God wanted, out from Jerusalem, people are hearing the joy of Jerusalem from far away. This is appropriate and good. They're singing the songs of the new, of the golden age when David was, uh, the golden age when David reigned as the king. They're singing his psalms, probably sang Psalm 48. Uh, great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, the city of our God, the holy place, the joy of the whole earth. Beautiful for situation. You know that one? We used to sing an old song to that, didn't we? And it talks about go around the gates, go around the wall, check it out. Hasn't God been incredible? And it's right to rejoice at all that God has done. But the Old Testament, like life, is not a Disney film. It isn't a Disney film. It doesn't end there. So what happens is this. Nehemiah, after the dedication of the wall, returns to Babylon, to King Artaxerxes. And as he returns to him, he gets on with his work there and then makes another journey back to Jerusalem to check out how it's all going, the joy of the whole earth. And it's in a disastrous mess. A bit like Paul with Corinth. Leaves them and then goes, what on earth has happened? The whole place seems to have fallen to pieces. Um, I won't read it all, but it's fun to go and read it Afterwards, go home and read it. Uh, and he starts, he starts saying, okay, the leaders, there's a very bad guy in Nehemiah called Tobiah. Tobiah the Ammonite. And what Tobiah does is he's always giving them hassle. He's always trying to stop the work on the wall. He's always cursing them. And, and the priest allows, Elisha the priest allows Tobiah, moves all the holy things out of the temple and allows him to set up a holiday home. In the temple, the baddie. And if that's not all, it goes on and on and on. And if you read through, you've got little bits like verse 10. I also found out, I mean, he's so angry, that the portions of the Levites had not been given to them. It, it just goes through. So I confronted the officials and said, why is the house of God forsaken? And he goes, remember me, O oh God, concerning this. And then in verse 15, in those days, I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath. And it gets worse. It gets worse and worse and worse to the place where they're all into marrying again, which he's told them not to. He gets so mad. He gets so mad with what's happened. He starts beating them all to the ground and tearing out their hair. You have a job here. This is what happened to me. Been beaten to the ground and had my hair torn. And I confronted them, verse 25, and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take oaths saying they wouldn't do it again. You know what's going to happen? They're just going to do it again. They're going to go on and on and on. The priests have messed up. The people have messed up. They've thrown the Sabbath out. They're intermarrying on the wall, his wall. Look what they've done to my wall, Ma. They've set up shops, people from outside... Unbelievers, Gentiles, set up shops on the wall on a Sabbath. It doesn't end very well. 
the Old Testament does not end in its narrative very well. So if you were weeding it through in a timeline, you finish in chapter 13 and you think, what on earth has happened here? All the purposes of God, all the plans of God, everything that God had promised, all the desires, what Zion was meant to be, the joy of the whole earth, what Jerusalem should represent. It finishes with Nehemiah just freaking out because nothing has really changed except the walls have been built. Ariel dies in this story. The Old Testament is not a Disney book. Oh, chapter 12 looks like it is the ending, but it's not the end. So what should be the joy of the whole earth is a shambles. Now, remind you of anything? I'll tell you what it reminds me of. It reminds me of me. It also reminds me of the church. It reminds me of church movements. It reminds me of all the things that you think are going to end in glorious perfection, but don't. I mean, God, it's been our story. It's been my story. I remember when I was first saved and, uh, and getting involved, and, and people would be the same in, in the restoration movement, and the idea in those days was if we can just get the structure right, what will happen is... Well, we'll have apostles and prophets, evangelists, pastors and teachers, and they'll all start functioning properly. Then we will rebuild the church. We will restore the church to a place where the church is the ultimately glorious thing on earth. And once the church is restored, revival will come and Jesus will return. And it's all going to happen in my lifetime. And here are we sitting in a school room, 37 years on. Well, what happened to that? And then you hear stories of one movement after another that thought they were going to achieve something incredible, and it isn't the case. Or leaders that we thought, this guy, these people are really going to change the world, and they fall. And churches that once were glorious lights are no longer and you stop and think, Lord, is this, the, is this the best you can do? Is this what it means to be the chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation? We just look a bit of a, a, bit of a shambles in some ways. I think that's the reality. Is this the best that the Lord can do? Is this... The best that the church is going to be? Yes. No. Yes. No. It doesn't end here. If you, if you want a title, I don't know, I think I gave a title like it is not the end. You could say it ain't over till it's over or the fat lady ain't sung yet. The whole point even though chapter 13 looks like it's come to this. And you can look at that in your family. You can sometimes look at that in your life. You certainly look at that in your church. Because the idea of we're just going to become more and more and more and more and more glorious. And then we just have to 
trap over this little line and Jesus comes back for, for the perfect restored bride. It's not going to happen this side, but it is going to happen. It is going to happen. What to say here? What to learn here? And where's Jesus here? I've got three points to finish, but it might be long to finish. Simple things that have affected me as I've been going through Nehemiah, and particularly this end bit. Firstly, you can fix the structure, but you can't fix the heart. You can think that the structure is perfect. We just need to put this right and put this right. We need to build this bit of the wall. We need to get this gate fixed in place. We need to set these situations up and we need to do this. And it's all going to be glorious. The idea that I will triumph in my life, in my marriage, in my family, in our church. Our life is going to be one of continual upward triumph. But here's the reality for us. We live in both chapters. We live in the glory and the joy of chapter 12. See what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. See his calling. See his mercy. See his grace poured out. See his blood effective for us. See what he has done. And we gather and we sing like we started. It is right. Great is the Lord and worthy of praise. But we also live in chapter 13. Why can't it stay like that and just get better and better and better? Why do churches get broken? Why do things go wrong? Because we are still sinners and saints. We live in chapter 12 and we don't want to be only chapter 13. It's all dreadful. There's nothing good. Come, Lord Jesus, hold the fort, for I am coming. Oh, oh, come, Lord Jesus. No. We can faithfully serve in what God has called us to do, but at the same time, understand. We can structure everything perfectly. If you've raised children, you know. You can do everything the best you can, and you can't fix it all. You can't change the heart. We used to sing in the past old songs of triumph, didn't we? I remember the very first book I bought, uh, I was given, just after I became a Christian, was a book called Why Revival Tarries by Leonard Ravenhill. And I devoured it and just thought, I can, I'm the man, I'm going to see revival come. I'm going to do it. You watch. <laughs> oh, my gracious me. Absurd. What did I expect? We were never, in one way, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. But we were never meant to be the conquerors. Because you can change the structure, you can make it perfect, but not the heart. You probably look at some, you've been through some challenges here. I know. And you're still trying to work that through. You think, how did it, how did it come to this? Because there's always chapter 13, and it happens, but it's not the end of the story. And what did you expect? Well, I expected it to be glorious. I was thinking of thousands of people 
the whole city gathered, crying out in a loud voice, worthy is the lamb, and, and my ministry was the one that brought it about. <laughs> yeah, yaddy, yaddy. Do you know what's important? In chapter 12 and chapter 13, rejoice in all that God has done. Serve faithfully and know only he can do this. You can fix the structure, but not the heart. What will be the future of this church? People say to me, what would you hope for? Our church is 27 years old now. What are you hoping for in the next 27 years? How can you, what do you see it? And I talk to some people, they go, oh, I, I see. I see us planting 100 churches. I, and I'm going, we might, we might, there may be no church. It may be for a season. Longevity and legacy is, is not my burden. Faithfulness is my burden. So David fulfilled the purpose of God for his generation and fell asleep. Should God so deign that the church continues and grows or diminishes so long as we remain faithful to the gospel and faithful to the calling, it's all that matters. Thank you for your faithfulness here. Thank you. It brings pleasure to God. Don't be disappointed that everything's not the way you may have imagined. It was never going to be. Think, oh, you're doing so well in Christchurch. Yeah, come and spend a week with me. Trust me. But we're trying to maintain faithfulness. Second point. There is only one who ultimately will triumph and fix it all. There is only one. After thousands of years, the Old Testament narrative ends in a letdown. Nothing's really changed. But we went to see, uh, a couple of weeks ago, we went to see Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness at the cinema. We have a Ukrainian family living with us, and they love Marvel. Mum can't understand it. She doesn't speak a word of English, but they love Marvel. And Doctor Strange was on. I said, do you want us to take you to the cinema? We took them to the cinema. And I like Marvel films. I don't know if you're into Marvel films, but if you're not, you should be. Because there's much, there, are, there is much interesting thing in it. And there are much analogies with the kingdom of God. Uh, yeah, Iron Man becomes the saviour at one point, but that's a whole different point. Um, we won't go into that. So we went, we went to see it. Now, because they're Marvel fans, they know that at the end of a Marvel film, there's this vignette at the end of all the credits. One and sometimes two. Just, it's just a little minute thing where essentially they give away what's coming next. So there's something like that. So if you saw the Avengers Endgame, was it the one before when Thanos zaps everybody and they go, and then you find just this little calling card, the button that presses that brings Captain Marvel. If you don't understand what I'm talking about, <laughs> sat on you. But there's this, little, there's this little vignette at the end that just, when it's all happened, that something's coming, something's happening. So we had to sit for 15 minutes through all these things so they could watch this vignette. And then the following week, it came out on Disney Plus on the telly and we could have fast-forwarded the whole thing. <laughs> Drove me nuts. There's a vignette in the Bible. Once we finish chapter 13 and that's the end of the narrative, it's not the last word. The last word is a prophet. 
who after this has got something to say. Sure, he's speaking into the situation. He's telling them off left, right, and center. You stop looking after the house of God. You stop running your tithes in. You start doing this. You start doing that. You're into marrying. Malachi. And that is the last book in your Old Testament. And where does it finish? It finishes here. Let's go just before Matthew. And the page before Matthew is the New Testament, but the page before that. Behold, imagine this Marvel film. We just sing. That's it then. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. Chapter 3. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. And chapter 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the son of righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. And the last verse of the Old Testament. Behold... I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of fathers, the hearts, the hearts. Jeremiah 31, 31. This is the new covenant I make with you through my blood. And it changes the hearts. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, the hearts of the children to the fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. The Old Testament ends in a mess, but with a promise. Someone is coming who will fix it all because he will not just change the structure. In fact, he will tear down the structure or prophesy of it. He will come and fix the heart. How will he do this? He will do this by taking all the punishment for chapter 13 in your life, in my life, in my family's life, in our church, throughout history, he will drink the cup dry and exchange our sin for his righteousness. Nehemiah beats the people. I don't like Nehemiah. If you haven't got that, I don't like him. He's this typical leader who manages to do something fantastic in 52 days, essentially by driving everybody. And then when it doesn't go right, he beats them and screams at them. And it still doesn't change. Dead silence for 450 years, except for one little voice at the end that says, He's coming. He's coming. He's coming. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers. The son of righteousness will rise with healing in his wings. Nehemiah beats them, but one is coming who will be beaten and crucified and buried. But death could not hold him because the perfect son of God could not be held by Satan or death because he was the sinless one. For him, there was no chapter 13, except for what he took on board himself for us. He triumphed over Satan in the cross. He did it. It is finished. In his death, in his death, he takes the brokenness of us all and fixes it in a point in time. But thirdly and finally, a day is coming when it will all end in triumphal joy.
It will all end triumphantly. What we see in chapter 12 is, is a taster. It's just a little taster of what is to come. What is to come on that day when it is utterly glorious, where we live and we come into chapter 12 and there is now no more chapter 13. Why? Because the Lamb has triumphed. There is no chapter 13. It's not really about the past in Nehemiah or about now. It's all about that day. It's the, the coronation of the king. And we read it, don't we? Read it in chapter Let's go to the end of the book. We talked about the beginning. That's the end of... See, the whole Bible I've given you in half an hour. The, the end of the Old Testament. Let's go to the end of the New Testament. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, basically, here we, we got it, we're here. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. No chapter 13. And behold, the one who was sitting on the throne said, behold, I am making all things new. Verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. Its lamp is the Lamb. By its light will nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations." But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. A day is coming when it ends in triumphal joy. You know, one of the things when you break bread, we break bread, we, we frequently break bread looking backwards, which we should and always. We look back to his cross. We look back to his blood shed for us. We look back to his body broken for us. But you remember in Luke when Jesus is breaking bread with him at the Last Supper, he takes the wine and he says, at the last cup he says, I won't drink this. It's called the cup of consummation. When it's finished, he says, I won't drink this with you until we drink it in the kingdom. And therefore Paul says, when we gather and break bread for the Lord's Supper, we proclaim his death until he returns. Should Christians be triumphalistic? Yes, for that day. But not in this day. What are we doing this day? We await a savior and faithfully build the wall, knowing 
that it's only God who can change hearts, knowing that there was only one who could ultimately fix the brokenness and does through his own death and resurrection. We can rejoice in past and present grace, but we look forward to that day. And in this, we encourage one another. We don't look at what we have. We look at what we have in Christ. And then we look at what is coming through Christ for the glory of God. What do I expect? 62, 63 soon? I know it seems so young, doesn't it? What do I expect for the rest of my life? Saying, what are you going to do? You're, kind of, you're moving out of leadership now. You're handing it over to others. and you're. Oh, I think I, I serve faithfully like I've tried to do for the last 37 years. In what? I don't know. I'm, I'm happy to clean the loose. I genuinely am. I'd rather clean the loose than do half of what I've been doing. What are you going to do? Where's the church going to go? How are you going to set it up? For you? Well, it's only ever been by grace. And it'll only ever be by grace. And my times are in his hands. And our times are in his hands. But I'm looking forward to that day. That day when we say right at the end of the book. Spirit and the bride say, come. Let the one who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life without price come. And he who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you all. Let's pray. Finish. Father, I do pray that as we look to ourselves, as individuals, as families, as churches, as movements, that the brokenness and disappointment that so often we encounter is not the thing that defines us. Lord, I thank you for grace, past and present, that we see all the time. I thank you that you never leave us as orphans, but you are with us. Lord, I thank you that you do not share your glory that the triumph will never be ours, but a day will come when he who has triumphed over sin and Satan and death, we will stand in his presence and see the Lamb of God slain for us and every tongue, tribe, people, and nation singing, Thou art worthy. Lord, in the joy of that day, may we rest. Amen.